Hello, everyone. I'm Kayla. And I'm Silas. And this is The Adventures of Kayla and Silas, a podcast about everything travel. Each week, we cover travel topics that we find interesting and that we hope you will, too. Today, we have a very awesome guest. Dr. Katie Davidson is with us. Yay! Hi! All the way from (laughs) North Dakota. She's actually the Director of International Programs at the University of North Dakota. And she and I met while working at Iowa State University in international education. She is well-traveled, and we are excited to have her on the show. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of welcoming. This will be a really fun show. You're an excellent storyteller, and so I'm excited to, we're going to put a lot of pressure on you, but we're excited to hear the stories that you have to share with us today. Without further ado, we're just going to jump into some of these questions that we have, and then we'll see where the podcast takes us. Sweet. So first of all, if you can just share with everyone, tell us a little bit about your travel background and how you made it into the field of international education. Sure. So I first went abroad in high school and my mom kind of scrimped and saved for me to go to Spain for a couple weeks when I was 16. And I was the worst possible tourist ever. I complained about everything. Everything was was not good. The bread was too hard. I decided I didn't like wine, that I shouldn't have been drinking anyway. Um, I was complaining about not enough people speaking English and the roads were too narrow and I had to walk too much. And so I completely get it when we have students who are way out of their comfort zones and all they know how to do is complain about it. So that was my first experience. And even though from that complaining, you wouldn't be able to tell that I had an amazing time. I had an amazing time and met some great people that I'm still friends with today and got the travel book. So at that point, I knew I wanted to study abroad at some point during college. And so I decided to do a semester in Florence, Italy. And I did that because at the time, my major was poli-sci. And there was a Machiavellian course at the British Institute of Florence. And my advisor at the time said that if I wanted to take a study abroad course that included politics, it would be that one. And so that was the main reason why I did that, which... I ended up changing my major when I came back and all that good stuff, but spent a semester in Italy. It was amazing. We talked about things I'd never talked about before. I'm from a pretty small town in Southwest Iowa, so it was pretty insulated, not a lot of diversity, not a lot of people doing things that were different. And so that was a real big eye opener. And I think that what I learned on that semester was that you really have to be willing to humiliate yourself if you're going to be traveling or be humiliated and be able to laugh at yourself have a pretty high embarrassment threshold because especially when you're in a country where you don't speak the language, you're going to say things that are just not appropriate or wrong. (laughs) Yep. Pretty much wrong. Yeah. And I hope we talk about language learning at some point, because I think that the vulnerability that you open yourself up to when you learn a language is critical for just being able to make yourself vulnerable in general. And so That was my Italian is probably my most fluent other language. My vocabulary and tenses and everything in Spanish are much better. But my Italian is the language I'm most comfortable with because I spent a semester there. So sure, that was great. So then I came back, changed my major to philosophy, which pretty much guaranteed grad school and (laughs) got my MBA, went to China during my MBA program. And then at that point, I was like, I know that my semester abroad really made me a better person. And Mm. um, made me think about things that I wish more people would think about. And so I thought, you know, I need to be a catalyst for people to have these experiences and and help them think about those things. And so I knew I wanted to get in the field somehow, 
waited for a job to open up at Iowa State, which doesn't happen very often, so I was very fortunate, (laughs) and started working at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Iowa State. The question I got asked the most often was, what do veterinary students do abroad? And I'm like, what don't they do? There are so many things for future veterinarians to do abroad, spaying and neutering and public health and um, elephant clinics. They went to the Galapagos and learned about evolutionary biology. Not a lot of elephant clinics in Iowa. In Thailand. Yeah, you definitely (laughs) don't have elephant clinics in Iowa. It's good to do the study abroad for that for sure. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, and if you want to see like giant tortoises and if you want to do large game drives and there were veterinarians that they worked with in South Africa where the veterinarians would dart the animals and then the students would go in and draw blood and help move them from park to park and just really cool conservation work that you can do on a smaller scale when you're working in parks in the U.S., but you just don't get elephants and rhinos and giraffes and all that good stuff. So yeah. Right. And it's just kind of grown from there. That's how I first got into international ed. And I'm pretty involved with NAFSA, which is the professional organization for kind of umbrella international education. So education abroad, international student advising, international yep. recruiting, things like that. And I've done a lot of leadership stuff with NAFSA and it's been amazing. And I knew I wanted to have kind of more of a responsibility, a director role, something like that. And so job at UND opened up and it was perfect. And my staff here are amazing and I love who I work with and what we do and our students are awesome. So I could not ask for a better job. That's so cool. Yeah, that is quite the journey. It is. Yeah, I didn't really take a breath during that, did I? Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Starting starting with not really outwardly enjoying the first trip that you took to Italy, which is Spain, 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 excuse me, uh, which is incredible that that's the first place that you had your your first international trip, but then catapulting you to where you are now. Before I forget about it, we definitely should talk about language Language learning because this is a huge part of especially Kayla's study abroad experience and not really something that I personally experienced, but as we are preparing for our trip to South America, Central and South America, I know it's going to be a big part of what we're doing while we're down there. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to let Kayla take the lead on this one. On talking about language? Yeah, because you're really good at it. Yeah, I I just I agree with you, Katie, because I think that when you go abroad, you are already learning a lot of new things. And for people who don't also have to put language into that bucket of new things that they're learning, it's a lot easier to kind of play it cool and not immerse yourself quite as much or be as vulnerable, I think was the word that you used. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to speak the language, it's, it's inevitable that you are going to find yourself in vulnerable situations, in situations that you're not quite sure how to respond to because you have that added language component. Silas was just making fun of me yesterday about a story from Germany, from when I was studying abroad in Germany, and we were taking a train. Oh, this is one of my favorite stories. Yeah, our our train hit and killed a bicyclist. That's not my favorite part. No, that's not the good part of the story or the language part of the story. But it was kind of a a crisis moment. Our train, we we had to get off the train and we were bused to the next train station and they had to bring in a new train. It was quite the delay. And our our major professor wasn't with us. She said, like, this is the one day you're going to go take a trip all by yourself. And had, had said bye to us at the train station that morning. And so everyone nominated me to be the one to call her and explain what had happened. And I couldn't figure out the word for, like, we hit, we, we hit a, 
a bicyclist. But I did know the word for hit as in to punch someone. So I decided that was the best way to explain to my professor that we had hit a bicyclist. Our train our, punched. I basically said our bicyclist. train punched a bicyclist and she She's kind like, of took a breath and like, she reframed the sentence in the correct way. And all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, that's what happened. That thing you just said, <laughs> that is exactly what happened. You know, you could just hear this like mortified response from our professor. And it was just like, yeah, we don't know what to do either. We we're just hoping you could give us some guidance. And she had already booked us tickets where we were going for a specific time. And we knew we were going to be late. And we just, we needed help, you know. And I have nine other students standing around me also not knowing how to frame the situation we were in. But it's one of those moments where you just kind of say, all right, I'm going to figure out a way to describe this because I don't know what else we would have done because we needed her help to to figure out our next steps. And mm-hmm. yeah, you just you learn in a new way, I guess, how to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Katie, what would you say are some of your most formative moments language learning wise that you experienced as a student? I think the very first time I had a conversation with someone in another language was in Spain and I was talking to an elderly woman at a train station. And I don't know why I kind of got up the nerve at that moment to talk to her, but I just asked her where she was from and she was talking to me and I didn't understand most of what she was saying, but one of my teachers was kind of standing over us and he was making sure I was using the respectful form of Spanish for her because she was elderly and I told her Mm -hmm. where we had been and it wasn't a real in-depth vocabulary filled conversation, but she was understanding me. I was understanding her for the most part. And I told her something and she understood and that was it. But it was the first time I'd ever talked to someone who wasn't a native English speaker. So it was, it was pretty good. And I mean, once you make that effort one time, it just, it's like anything, it gets easier and easier the more you do it. So Mm -hmm. I would say anytime I had to navigate a new city and I found my way and I was successful and I didn't get too lost and I bought things and ordered things. I think my favorite moment was when my husband and I were on our honeymoon and we were based in Rome, but we took a day trip to Florence and we were wandering around outside the Uffizi and a woman came and asked me where the entrance to the Uffizi was in Italian. And I told her and I understood her question and I gave her the right answer and she probably didn't get lost after I told her where to go. And it was just a really nice confidence building moment. And there have been many other non-confidence building language moments, but those (laughs) are some good ones. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that is, that's really, really fun. And I would say for me watching Kayla, the first time that we went to Germany together was on a stopover before we went to Budapest. And she had said, oh, I speak German. And I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. And there's no way for me to test or confirm any of that. Um, I know, 10 words. uh, You know, put it on your LinkedIn. No one's going to question it. We went and and stopped over and met her host dad from when she studied abroad was like, oh, you're going to be in Germany. We'll meet you wherever you're going to be. And we, I don't know, we were off the plane for six hours, eight hours. We had an eight hour layover or something like that. It was a long layover. We can go explore the city that we were in, which was in Germany, apparently. Uh, we'll, we'll, We'll try and remember it later. But... We get off the plane, and I'm like, hi, I'm Silas, and like, nice to meet you. And then Kayla and 
her host dad and, and host sister, went into long conversations about how school is going and how work is going. And I was catching every other cognate and hoping that they were actually cognates and not the mystery cognates that sound like re- words in English but aren't actual words in English or cognates of them. And I was like, this is something that I need to be better at. Dusseldorf. Oh, Dusseldorf. Yeah, that's right. We were in Dusseldorf. (laughs) It was a random thing. They went, they took a long train ride to meet us. It was really nice of them. So, (laughs) but yes, language. And I think it's one of those, those skills too, that, I don't know, it adds a level of confidence building once you leave. I mean, study abroad in itself is one of those things that makes you feel more confident as a student and as a person. And at, by the end, at least. By the end, definitely. <laughs> I mean, leaving and after, afterwards when you're applying for jobs or you're going to start new parts of your lives, either whether it be grad school or a job or you name it, you go into that situation you're like, I was able to figure out navigating the trains in the city or you know, I was able to figure out the currency exchange for this reason or that reason. And I was, when you have that language aspect, you're able to say, I was able to communicate with other people and get around and do what I needed to do in another language that isn't my first language. And, you know, it just adds that level of confidence. And I wanted to say too, when you said that, that first step of trying to have a conversation, it's like anything that you're, you're learning, but it really reminded me of learning to ride a bike because I would say 90% of the people that I know have had the opportunity to try and learn how to ride a bike, and most of them did it as kids. And there wasn't that scare of failure because everyone's saying, no, you have to do it. You're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And, those and it's first okay if times, you fail when right. you're five years old. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think that the older we get, sometimes we forget that it's okay to fail, and that's how we learn. But mm-hmm. I don't know, philosophy, science yeah. is, is coming yeah. into place. So totally. watch out. Yeah. (laughs) Coming back to kind of the older we get and the less vulnerable we want to be, I think that that's something that I want to see more of with people who are in leadership positions and people who maybe haven't forced themselves to learn another language. I, I would like to see more adult learners of other languages, especially because in the U.S. we're such a monolingual society, and if we if we want to have any sort of a a footing in how the world works later, we need to have people who are opening themselves up to speaking other languages and aren't just trying to, I mean, it's such a privilege we have that English is a very widely spoken language around the world, but imagine how much more of the culture and the countries we would understand if, if we had more people speaking at, at least rudimentary languages. Something that I just did recently was reviewing the critical language scholarship applications and that program is through the U.S. Department of State, and it's for students to spend a summer immersed in Russian or Chinese, Arabic. Oh, wow. Yeah, just really critical. I mean, it's critical languages. These are languages that are peace-building languages. And so just reading about people who want to get fluent in those languages so that we can have more peaceful relations with those countries and with the people from those countries, oh, yeah. it was really inspiring. So if anyone out there is still in school bachelor's master's phd and wants to immerse themselves in a critical language for eight weeks check out the cls scholarship because it's fully funded eight to ten weeks during the summer and you will be able to speak the other language by the time you're done it's pretty awesome awesome Awesome. will you send us a link to that so we can include it in the show notes yeah Mm -hmm. okay cool 
that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. So moving on from language, I wanted to ask you about your top two or three more, if you have them, favorite travel stories. Because when you travel, you're inevitably going to acquire stories. Oh, so many stories. <laughs> <laughs> this is really hard. Well, I mean, I have stories from when I was a student, and I have stories from representing the institution that I've worked for, and I have stories of personal travel. So what's the most interesting, do you think? Yes. Yes. Any, any <laughs> of the book. We, if, if it gets to be too many stories, we'll just cut, cut me we'll, off. We'll just cut out so that we leave in our favorites okay, uh, at the end. We can do that. <laughs> One of my favorite stories from being a professional and traveling for work was... A friend and I did a site visit to Iceland a couple years ago, and, <laughs> and I was visiting an Icelandic veterinarian, and so I was hanging out with her, and it was July, so the sun doesn't really set in Iceland in July, and yeah. we were staying at this Airbnb with this pretty interesting woman, and so I'm hanging out with my Icelandic veterinarian friend. We're eating ice cream and walking around Reykjavik, and it's midnight, and it's still sunny out, and... And so we part and I go back to our Airbnb and my colleague is sitting there <laughs> with the woman who runs the Airbnb and her son and her partner and this guy that they all used to play in a band with. And she's got just these random instruments and they all have these weird knitted hats on and sweaters and wigs and they're playing just this terrible cacophony of music and it's like 2 30 in the morning at this time and I have a video of it that is just amazing and it doesn't make any sense and and there I don't even know if there was any controlled substances involved in this it's just random Icelandic people and my colleague making music in wigs and hats and we're talking like mini accordions and harmonicas and just so That's fascinating awesome. <laughs> and Iceland's just a really cool place because there is so much darkness that most people are really into art and music because they need things to do and I, I identify with this now living in North Dakota you need yeah. things to do when you only get so many hours of daylight so yeah a lot of authors musicians artists really interesting so yeah that was wow that was a really good one that's super funny. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I was just in China and Chinese business culture is alcohol plays a huge part in it. So okay. you kind of, it's kind of like the U.S. in golf where you don't really do as much in the office as you do on the golf course sometimes. Um, sure. So I have a five-year-old and we talk a lot about sharing and um, the phrase sharing is caring comes up in our house a lot. And so I'm, uh -huh. I'm at dinner with um, our Chinese partners and they're, they're amazing. They're great great senses of humor and we're doing the thing where we're toasting. And so mm -hmm. we have our, our Chinese liquor and we're toasting each other and our future partnerships and our, our new friendships. And I didn't want to, to overindulge. So even though I know it's semi rude, I, I kind of shared my Chinese liquor with my dinner partner. And so I kind of poured a little bit of the, the liquor into his little <laughs> carafe. And, and I said, you know, Hey, Shang, sharing is caring. And he, he was like, what? And he has a four-year-old too. So when I explained it to him, um, he thought it was great. He's like, yes, sharing is caring. And so I would share my liquor with him. But the next night, this kind of backfired because we were in a restaurant and just drinking some beer. And 
and I didn't again want to overindulge. And he's like, "Come on, Katie, sharing is caring." And he just kept <laughs> filling my glass up with with basically yellow water is what the Chinese call beer. So that was really fun, and just these little translations that sometimes make it into other languages and sometimes don't. And and I think it's really helpful, especially when you're working in the field, to to kind of remember that we're all. I mean, he has a four-year-old. I have a five-year-old. We have these lives outside of our work, but our work and yeah. our lives, for me at least, are so intertwined because I care so much about what it is that I'm doing, and you know that that other people around the world do too. So, that's that's a good good professional story. That's fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he was he's awesome. I love that guy. We definitely need to hear at least one study story. <laughs> oh, okay. You're trying to avoid that. I could tell. Um. <laughs> Well, just remember that the reason I went into international education is because I didn't like the person I was before I studied abroad and thought I was a way better mm. person after. So a lot of these transformative things can be a little bit painful to revisit, but I can do it. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. So we went to Oktoberfest in Munich, okay. right? And we were in Florence, so we could take a night train to Munich, be on the train overnight, be in Munich for the day, explore Munich go to the Hofbrau house, enjoy Oktoberfest, and then come back on a day train 24 hours later or something like that. Oh my gosh. And, oh yeah, okay, I'll tell this part of the story. So we're in the Hofbrau house. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the Hofbrau house, and it's the only place I've ever eaten sauerkraut and enjoyed it. And, I mean, you know the steins there. The steins there are a workout. I mean, there are these mm -hmm. steins of great German beer, and they weigh probably 20 pounds, and they're really cool steins, and people try to steal them all the time. And, of course, we are sitting at a table, and we find ourselves surrounded by Italians. So we're, we're practicing our, our Italian in Germany. And at the end of the night, we've had several steins, and we're hanging out with the Italians. And, and we go to walk out, and somehow two of the steins made their way into my bag. And, of course, <laughs> yeah. So we try to leave the Hofbrau house, and they check bags, and... And I start speaking in Italian so they don't think that I'm just some dumb American. But all I can remember in Italian at that point is I'm sorry. So I'm just saying like, mi dispiace, mi dispiace, because I'm trying to steal their steins. And yeah, it was a pretty embarrassing <laughs> moment. And we ended that night at the Munich train station because we... So what, you just handed the steins back, back and well, that yeah, was the end of Well, yeah, of course. It? Yeah. I wasn't going to actually okay. steal them. But hopefully they just thought that I was a rude Italian and not a rude American. But sorry, Italy. Yeah, best, best case scenario. <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah. <laughs> I feel like we pulled that trick a lot. Yeah. Like the opposite, though. We went to Spain for spring break and we spoke German everywhere because we didn't want to be mistaken as dumb Americans. Yeah. As well. I know. Yeah. It's such a. And this is why we need more students studying abroad so that we can kind of squash some of these stereotypes. Hopefully, mm -hmm. more yeah. students studying abroad does squash some of those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. But Agreed. yeah, we spent that night the in the night Munich train station, which is mm -hmm. a story that I only told my family after it had happened and I was safely home in the U.S. Oh, yeah. But and that's a place where you have to pay to pee, and it was not a good night. But yeah, good time. Especially after as many steins as you had. So many steins, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think there was some late night German McDonald's, and yep. You may have you may have spent just as much to relieve yourself as you did to enjoy the beer. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> but you know, at that point, it's worth it. So cheaper than a hostel, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it definitely was. I don't think they let people do it anymore either. Um, one of my friends who went with us that time went back for Oktoberfest when she was in Florence for another semester, and they didn't let them stay in the train station. Oh, hmm. things are a lot different now than they were when I was studying abroad. 
Yes, I believe that. <laughs> I mean, you look at how, how much uh, things changed a lot even between when I studied abroad and went back to the same destination to work for a summer. And that was two years, three years, mm -hmm. something like that. So it wasn't a very long time. But there were significant changes to the way things were set up within the city mm -hmm. and just traveling there and my experiences getting through customs. Just all of the things were, were very, very, very different. So... Yeah, I remember I didn't have a phone. So when I studied abroad, oh, um, it was the time. Either. Yeah, it was the time of internet cafes. And so if I wanted to check my email, I, I had to go to the internet cafe and pay like a euro an hour to check my email and be online. And it was slow and I had no phone. So I wasn't I wasn't calling home at all. It was nuts. And now now it's kind of like, ugh, as someone who really has to manage risk for our students, I'm like, well, I really don't want you to have a phone, but I don't know. I really want you to have a phone. It's, it's a hard, right. hard line to toe. No, absolutely. And that was, that was one thing that I would fall back on a lot for arguing that you should study abroad was that, I don't know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, when our parents' generations were going to university that was a really formative time of their lives because they didn't have as many opportunities to connect with their parents or to call back home or to ask for help or mm -hmm. guidance or anything. It was the opportunity to call home was a payphone at the end of your dorm. And, you know, it had to be shared between all 30 people who were living on your floor mm -hmm. and you had, you had to pay. So you didn't call home very often. You only called home maybe once a month or once a week if you had a parent who'd send you a lot of phone cards or something. So, yep. um, phone cards. Yeah. It's so that different was. now. And so that studying abroad was that opportunity for, I think, both Kayla and myself because and it sounds like you as well, that when you got to your destination, there weren't convenient or easy ways to connect with any of your support systems from back home. And so you really had to become self-sufficient, figure out things on your own, and you do have that opportunity to grow and become a better version of yourself through those experiences. So. Yep. But I also feel like now there's kind of a counter argument with safety because I feel like it's assumed everyone has a cell phone anymore. And so people are less apt to stop and ask if you need help if you are in an emergency situation. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a conundrum. Yeah, it is. These are the these are the things that I turn to uh, uh, doctors for <laughs> yourself. <laughs> so moving along, I wanted to ask you while we're talking about difficult and hard situations, what was your worst slash hardest travel moment or maybe one of the hardest that you feel like you did grow from? And, and even if you want to think about it from the perspective of one of the experiences that you would say helped you to think that international education was something you wanted to be a part of. I don't know if there's one specific situation, but there there are just tons of times when I've been abroad, both as an adult and as a young adult, as a student, where you just get to this point where you feel like it's sink or swim and you just kind of want to cry and you're just feeling overwhelmed by difference and not being able to be understood or understand anyone around you. And and it is, it's just a sink or swim moment. And when you, when you have that moment and you get through to the other side of that moment, it is just a real confidence builder. And it's just something mm -hmm. that it's hard to replicate that in your hometown or in, even in the U S in general, because most mm -hmm. of the time in the U S you're going to be in an area where you at least know 
you can call someone, you can find someone who will be able to help you because you both speak the same language. And mm-hmm. it's just really hard to kind of replicate that situation here. Mm-hmm. So that that's a feeling that I kind of I kind of seek out now. Because as you can probably imagine, the way I travel now is a little bit different from the way I traveled when I was 19, yeah. 20, 21. And fewer hostels. Yeah, fewer, fewer hostels. Most of the time I have airport transportation. I don't just have to kind of figure it out when I get there, which I am spoiled. And I do try to seek out those moments of discomfort. So I remember what it's like when we're telling our students, you know, we get it. We remember those feelings of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's what really kind of builds you up as a person after you get through those difficult situations. So, yeah, I would say the more the more uncomfortable you can make yourself and still come out the other side, the better. And, of course, don't put yourself in undue danger or anything like that. But right. I think that people underestimate how uncomfortable they can be and still be okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, just going to the grocery store. I, we When we went to Italy with my family, one of the things that I was really looking forward to, my, we had a Airbnb and we were going to cook a few meals in, breakfasts and things so that we weren't eating out every single meal. And I was very excited to take my brother, who was a senior in high school, grocery shopping. I said, let's go grocery shopping. And he was like, uh, grocery shopping's grocery shopping. So I'm like, okay, well you take the lead then. So we went to the grocery store and he's like, that was so different. That was so different. That was, that was nothing like going grocery shopping in the United States. And, and I, I think that it was one of the more formative experiences from that trip, just because mom and dad weren't with us at that point. We said, mom and dad, you take a nap or whatever you're going to do, get set up in the Airbnb and Kayla, you were napping. Did you come with us? Oh, you went with us. That's right. Mm -hmm. I was like, Jonas, go find some stuff that you want to eat. And he was just looking at everything on the shelves. And, you know, it's all in Italian. He doesn't speak Italian and was looking. He's like, I don't know what any, I don't know what that stuff is. I mean, like, does it look good? He's like, I don't know. I said, well, get it then. We'll try it out and see if it's good (laughs) or not. See if we enjoy it. But it was, it, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, there was nothing dangerous about going to the grocery store, but it was definitely an uncomfortable learning experience that that he will remember for a very long time I believe. Mm-hmm. We have two more questions, but if you have any other things that pop up that you want to address, feel free to interrupt or interject at any point. Well, so, next question, second to last. The top mistakes that you see students make while studying abroad or oh. hear about after the fact. These are mistakes that I also made. For me... I'm sure we made them too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me, I kind of shut down after a certain point. And I had kind of... I'd kind of given up on new experiences. And I just wanted to kind of hang out in our apartment and not do anything else. My classes were all done a couple weeks before I was ready to go home. And so I just kind of sat and watched movies on my laptop in my apartment and Mm -hmm. ate tuna melts and drank tea and peach tea and wasted a couple of weeks of my life where I was Mm -hmm. in Italy and I could have been out improving my Italian, talking to locals, just exploring areas of the city I hadn't seen yet. And, And I don't know if I was homesick or if the culture shock had just gotten to me, but I definitely wish that someone had told me, you know, it's normal for you to kind of shut down at a certain point, but you need to push through that and make yourself go out. Yeah. And now I do that. Now I'm, I make myself say yes if people say, let's let's go out after dinner or let's go for a walk or let's go shopping. There was a time where I would have just said, you know, no, I want to I wanna be alone in my room and just relax and chill. And now I always will say yes to that because you never know 
what what you're going to see, who you're going to meet, anything like that. And I I tell students the story all the time because I know that that after you've been in a different environment for so long, your your brain kind of does get overloaded and you shut down a little bit and you just have to push through that because you don't want to waste and regret that. And I regret those weeks. There's definitely something to be said about taking time to recharge your batteries. Mm-hmm. And we have a free course on as a pre-departure course on preparing for studying abroad. And one of the things we talk about is definitely take an evening if you need to, or if you don't want to go travel one weekend, that's fine. Watch some Netflix. But for two weeks, you really are missing out on a yep. lot of experiences. I feel like I didn't have that issue so much, but maybe it was because after I did my study abroad semester, I also was still abroad for another three months over the summer. But I watched my classmates have that struggle where by the end they were like, oh, this city has a church and a museum. Of course it does. Every city has those things. And they were disenchanted (laughs) by these new towns we were exploring. And it made me sad because I thought, well, this place is actually different than other places we had been because we were exploring kind of a new part of the world at mm-hmm. that point. And I don't know. I was just sad that they kind of poo-pooed the mm-hmm. experience of, of exploring a new city. Well, and I think, too, you made a really good point, Katie, that going out and just walking around the city would have been better than, than sitting in your room the entire time. And I think that that's, that's one thing that I think a lot of students get overwhelmed with like I'm running out of money I can't go take another weekend trip mm-hmm. well you're in a new city you can go out and walk around the city and as, as far as I can tell in most places in the world walking around the city is free mm-hmm. so that's not uh, that's not going to be a, a big bank buster but yeah definitely push through that's good advice or yeah. a good mistake to point out and Hopefully people can learn from it. Yep. And I I was on a what we call an island program. So I was with a bunch of other Iowa State students in an apartment. We basically spoke English all the time. And we were at the British Institute of Florence. So everybody was speaking English there unless you were taking Italian. So if I have any advice to give to students who are thinking about studying abroad, it's don't pick a program like that. I I love to death my friends that were in my apartment during that semester. Yeah. I was in one of their weddings and, and we're all friends on Facebook and we talk to each other still, but I missed out on, on building relationships with Italian students and, and even the British students who are at the British Institute just because it was too easy to be comfortable and go back and grab a couple of bottles of wine and sit on our balcony and just talk. And, and we missed out on, I mean, we had great conversations and, and it's, it's still, it was still a great experience, but it could have been so much more enriched if I would have taken the time to meet more locals and talk to more people. And do you often recommend homestays for students? I think homestays are for that reason. Homestays are great, especially for language acquisition, being immersed in, in a homestay environment is much better for language acquisition and cultural acquisition because you learn about just basic little traditions and superstitions and holidays and different parenting styles and different religions or different observations of religion. It's just, mm-hmm. if you can do a homestay, that's that's the ideal way, I think. I agree. Mm-hmm. But I did a homestay, so I don't have the, I I did, don't have the opposite experience. I did not do a homestay, but I did, going back to the same location to do an internship the second time I didn't have the first time I did have an American support group and I think we just talked about this in a previous podcast but the first time I went there was a group of students from the United States that I hung out with the entire time and I did meet a few handful of people from the UK that we would hang out with on occasion 
it was a continual regular thing, but not the people that I had the strongest connection with while I was there. And then when I went back to work, I avoided any other people from the United States that I could have ended up hanging out with. Uh, it, it would have been easy to say, oh, I know that there are people from the United States here and let me just make friends with them and join their group. But instead I started hanging out with people from the office, which was very different than hanging out with students, obviously, and lots of friends via people that I knew from the first time that I had visited. So very, very different experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're what trying other... to... Oh, go ahead. We're trying to promote more international internships because of that very reason, because you get a much different experience of another country when you are working there. And with people who oh, yeah. are citizens of that country or who've been working there for a while, it's just a completely different point of view. I mean, you learn more about the government and politics because people are working there and paying taxes there and, and all of that. Yeah. And those are things that you're kind of oblivious to when you're a student. So. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. 100%. What other mistakes do you see students making that they should try to avoid? Being in too close contact with, with family, with, mm. with people who are still in the States. I see a lot of people just not being able to go a day without talking to a significant other. I, Ugh, I I have a lot of thoughts about studying abroad when you're in a relationship and and I just I think that that time is really important for you to be disconnected from everything that's familiar and I know it's really it's easier said than done and especially if you do have really close supportive relationships and you have come to rely on those that's that's something that it's hard to be away from, but it's so crucial to, to have to figure it out on your own. That's how you learn who you are and how you'll react to things and what your fears are and what your communication style is and, and how much embarrassment you can take things like that. And, and if you're constantly checking in with someone, be it a parent or a significant other or a friend or whoever, it's just really yeah. hard for you to, to really make the most of that growth experience. So I would say that I would say that that studying abroad and being connected is still better than not studying abroad at all. But sure. if yeah. you if you can force yourself to unplug and I know the the more millennials we have studying abroad, the harder it is for for people to unplug because it's it's an extension of your hand. Your phone is an extension of your hand. I totally get it. But sometimes you should maybe chop your hand off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I had like a weekly Skype date with my family when I studied abroad. What, did you talk to your parents very often? Um, sometimes I would Skype home, but I stayed up later than I probably should have Aww. on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would usually, as they were getting ready for work in the morning, I'm, I would Skype them sometimes and say, hey, we haven't talked in a while. And they're like, what time is it there? And then I would have to say, oh, I got to go. Because <laughs> it's usually like two two in the morning or two, two or three in the morning. That would be after work, not in the morning. Your parents after work. Mm. If you called your parents before they went to work, it would be like afternoon in the UK. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> However it worked out. You were calling them at two in the morning. I was, time. yeah. Or they were just getting home from work. Maybe that's what, maybe you're right about that. And I was just calling them and they're like, what time is it there? But yeah, it, I mean, we, we would talk, but the connection was always so bad that towards the end, I was just like, I'll see you in a couple of months. You know, I don't, uh, I'll email you and say I'm alive still. And that was about it. So yeah, that's, that was pretty much what I would do. I would check in enough so my mom knew I was alive and yeah. 
And that was pretty much it. I mean, I think I called home maybe twice in the semester and I was emailing, but not every day. Definitely. Maybe once a week emailing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, my parents weren't able to figure out the webcam very well or the webcam was, I think that they had a really, really slow computer. Mm. And I said, I will get you a really nice webcam so we can talk. Well, the webcam was drawing too much, needed too much power. And so it just was super incompatible with their computer. And they spent more time fighting with the stupid webcam than they did actually talking to me. So yeah, I ended up just saying that was enough's enough. We're, we're done. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Yes, that's those are some really good things I think for for students to think about and recognize that you know these aren't hard and fast rules about you know if you do want to connect with family back home or if you do want to continue posting to Instagram, Snapchat, you name it. Th- those are okay things, but don't let them outweigh the time that you're spending with your community and the people that you're meeting there because those are things that you can't get back and you can spend more time on Facebook when you get home. Mm -hmm. Very cool. The last question that we have is what advice do you have for people who are hesitant to travel? And this doesn't have to be necessarily study abroad specific, but if you want it to be, by all means. Oh, I think the advice I would have would apply to people traveling or studying abroad. I think something that really sticks with me is that you are leaving home to find things different. So don't expect things to be the same or get upset when they are different. Um, I think a lot of people like to find what's most familiar to them in another country because I think it makes their brains comfortable. I think it's kind of a survival instinct. You find what's comfortable and that's what you stick with because it's a survival thing. I totally get that. But I think Mm -hmm. we're at the point where we've evolved enough where we can think outside of survival mode and, and try to seek out the different so that we will be able to have those experiences and, add them to, I mean, it just grows our comfort bubble, right? And we add that to our comfort zone and then our comfort zone becomes bigger. So definitely seek out the different. I think something that I've tried to train my brain to do is when I encounter difference to try to react with curiosity instead of fear or, um, Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's strange or Ooh, that's gross. And it's helped a lot with more than just the international aspects in my life. Anytime I encounter something that isn't what I'm used to, my immediate reaction isn't, oh, I'm afraid of it or it's gross or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage people That's to awesome. do that whether they're traveling or not. It's helpful, especially if you have a small child who doesn't eat anything but mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. <laughs> Try not to <laughs> see any new food as something that gross. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Great advice. This has been a really fun conversation. We appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be on the show. Sure. Um, Awesome. Um, I would just like to say that I would like to come back and do a follow-up episode on simply the career benefits of studying abroad. We would love to have you back. Have you done that already? No, I don't think so. Not necessarily. Okay, awesome. Because there's there's an amazing report that the Institute for International Education put out on employability and how study mm. abroad and what you learn when you study abroad and the skills you develop impact your future employability in okay. so many different ways. And I think unpacking that would be really interesting because I think absolutely. people forget well, that it's not just about when you're gone. It's about what happens when you come back. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, they've been saying that for years, Yeah, but it's not really been founded in a lot of hard research articles. Like yep. it sounds like the one that you're talking about. So. Yep. It is, it is really hard to measure. That's for sure. Cause you don't know if 
oh, did I really learn this when I studied abroad or did I learn it when I was doing something else on campus during college? Right. So, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we touch on that in our course on study abroad, mm-hmm. but it's it's very short. We just talk kind of about our own experience in the benefits that we gained from our time abroad, but but we'd love to, t- to kind of delve even deeper. That would be great. Let's do Absolutely. it. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. But that's our show. As always, we ask that you leave any questions you have in the comments section below, or if you have a specific question, feel free to email us directly or connect with us on social media. Our email address is Kayla and Silas at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest by searching Kayla and Silas. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you listen on either of these platforms, it'd be great if you could leave us a review. That way it helps other people find our show. Once again, we're Kayla and Silas wishing you luck with your upcoming adventures.